Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And welcome on into episode 160 of the SCO Show. Mark Schofield back in the big chair for today, Christmas Eve, Thursday, December 24th, 2020. My little Christmas Eve gift to you is a mailbag. Because I guess that's what podcast hosts give to their listeners uh, in form of a gift, is a mailbag. Or it just could be your gift to me because it helps me do my work for me, which is also very cool. We got a lot to talk about today. Got a lot of questions to get to. We're going to dive into that in a second. First, your usual cavalcade reminders. Please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Matt Waldwitz, Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, right here at Pat's Pulpit. Of course, Touchdown Wire, part of the USA Today Wire Network. Before diving into your questions, I do want to start with Josh Allen. Because the Patriots, they, they have a game Monday night, and we're not going to spend a ton of time getting ready for a game. The Patriots have been el- eliminated. Everybody's starting to think about 2021. If I start to pontificate for 20 minutes or so about Josh Allen or the Bills covers recoveries and stuff like that, people are going to tune out, and I get it. But I do think if you are in the camp, and there may be many of you, most of you, that are in this camp that the Patriots have to draft a quarterback as soon as humanly possible in the upcoming draft, there are three lessons to take away from Josh Allen. And I got a piece going up on Pat's pulpit about this as well. But the three lessons are this. Mobility matters at the quarterback position, particularly for younger players. Arm strength matters more than we'd like to admit. And patience matters too. Now mobility, you can probably figure that out. You can be a factor in the run game. You can extend plays, all that stuff. It matters. It matters in the NFL today. Read the piece for more on it. And patience matters too. That's the third thing. Josh Allen had 12 touchdowns. I mean, he should be 10 touchdowns and 12 picks with a 52.8 completion percentage as a rookie, an adjusted net yards per attempt of 4.37, which, while not Schofield-esque, isn't good. But they hunt in there with him. And in a league where you're seeing Sam Darnold perhaps getting moved aside, Other quarterbacks getting shoved aside after a year. The Bills stuck with it. So, yeah. Practice patience. And the other thing is that second point I mentioned, the arm strength issue. I was always somebody that was of the mind that arm strength for a quarterback is more of a threshold issue. Do you have enough arm strength to be an NFL quarterback? If so, great. If not, enjoy the CFL. 
And once you sort of hit that, it was then an issue of, well, if you don't have an overpowering arm, you might need to do more with your mind, time and anticipation, things like that. But the more I study and think about the quarterback position, the more I watch quarterbacks that are successful and that struggle, the more I think about what I've come to sort of call the decision window, which is that period of time before and during a play when a quarterback is started to make up and eventually does make up his mind about where he is going to throw the football on that given snap. And the easiest example of the decision window is snap to throw. Like that 2.5 seconds, you're making up your mind about where to go with the football. Now, the great offensive minds, your McVeighs, your McDaniels, your Shanahan's, your Stefanski's, whoever you want to put in that category, they do what they can to sort of expand that decision window. And you can expand it before the snap, right? Motion, shifting, personnel, all the things that give the quarterback information so he knows before the snap, they're in cover two. I've got a seam route to one side of the field and a smash concept to the other. So I've expanded the decision window into the pre-snap phase. I'm starting to make up my mind. I'm pretty sure that... If they stay in this, I can go right where I want to go with the football. Boom, the ball is snapped. They stay in it. The ball is out. The 2.5 seconds becomes 10.5 seconds. You've expanded the decision window. Josh Allen's arm strength expands the decision window on the back end of that. Take Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. There's a, a huge discussion going on on sort of football media, NFL Twitter, about Joe Burrow and his arm strength. And that's a discussion for another time. But the question, and we'll frame it this way, is this. If Joe Burrow and Josh Allen are throwing a dig route at 15 yards against a cover two coverage, Josh Allen has perhaps an extra step, an extra half second before he has to throw the ball. But they'll get there at the same time because Allen's arm strength will make up the difference. And so that expands the decision window on the back end for Allen. He can take that extra half beat, half second, however you want to term it, confirm the coverage. They're definitely in cover three now. I know I know what they're in now. I've taken that extra half second. Now I can throw the ball. Everything's still going to be on time. Or he can do things like he did against the Buc- the Broncos, the touchdown to Jay Cumrall, where they're in quarter, quarter, half. He takes that extra half second to look off the backside safety. That backside safety doesn't push to the play side and to try to push to number three on that side. And he rips in a throw that splits the safeties for a touchdown. I did a video on Josh Allen. You can check that out. And you'll see what I'm talking about. It expands the decision-making window on the back end. So those are three lessons from Josh Allen that I think if you're in that camp of they need to draft a quarterback, keep those three lessons in mind as you start sort of your springtime scouting here. All right, let's get to some of your questions now before we take a little break here. First two come from us, from the one and only Chuck Zotto, who you can find on Twitter, at ZottoZone. The first question that he asks is, do you see quarterback mobility remaining a priority for the future? And given what I just outlined, I think absolutely. You know, I wrote earlier this year that I think rookie quarterbacks need two things to be successful right away. That's mobility and leverage. And what I mean by leverage is they have to be able to decipher leverage of defenders in the secondary and put the football away from it. And I think mobility is a critical component. You can't, the days of a battleship style quarterback are over. You can't be a stoic statue back there. You just can't. 
Right? The, the, the defenders in the NFL today are too athletic. That's the main reason. But the other reason is this. If you have a battleship quarterback, you're playing 10 on 11. And the days, I think, of playing 10 on 11 have to be over. And I know the game is tilted towards the offense, but I just did a video on the Ravens and their counter bash and how that design where you've got a guard and a tackle pulling one way, a running back potentially running the other, and Lamar Jackson reading everything and then deciding where to run with the football. If he keeps it, he can follow the two blockers, he can find a crease backside, whatever he does. You can stack the box. You're going to get outmanned, outflanked, outgapped one way or another on that play. Like, that's one of those moments where, unless you've got a bunch of guys of five-star recruits coming out of Alabama, you're not stopping it. Like, you've got to win one-on-one somehow. And so, when you can change the numbers in your favor like that as an offense, you're going to be successful. So, I think mobility is a huge plus. Which, his Chuck's other question, which non-force member of the Star Wars universe would you choose as a punter? And that's an interesting question. I wanted to go, like, in terms of, like, somebody I thought would have incredible leg strength. My first two thoughts were Chewbacca with a Mandalorian. But then I thought, look, it's it's a punter. Like, like how deep do we want to go? Do we want to take somebody that might have great strength like perhaps the Mandalorian, and make him a punter when we could put him... Like the Mandalorian, I think, would be a fantastic, you know, hybrid safety. Now, I'm not taking a player like that and making him a punter. Thought about maybe Han Solo. Kind of a quirky guy in a way. I could go really mean here and say Jar Jar Banks. I mean, that's really mean. That's like the ultimate Star Wars-related insult. So I won't... I'll say Han Solo because he has a bit of a Pat McAfee to him, I'd say. And McAfee's gone on to a fantastic second act with his career. Maybe it's a third and a fourth act between his podcast and his wrestling. So we'll say Han Solo. Michael Kist. My soon-to-be ex-co-host of the QB Factory as Michael has gone on to become the executive producer of Sports Brands Podcast for SB Nation. Congratulations to Michael. Um, somebody I consider like Chuck before him. Like, like these two first two questions are from two like my my legitimate friends in this industry. Um, I think the world of both those guys. I think the world of of Michael um, couldn't be prouder of him for where he's going right now. It's just incredible to see. But he asks, what happened to the Viking launch ship you were building? And I have mentioned this story on a couple different shows, but for those that didn't catch it, um, I'm going through a a model phase right now. I'm building a lot of models. Right now I'm working on a F-117 Blackhawk. It's literally within arm's reach from where I am right now. I'm starting to put that one together. I had just finished a tiny little... If you're into model building or you're thinking about it, pay attention to the scale because I got myself an X-Wing to build and it's tiny. It was like at a 1 to 112 scale. So it's base, it's smaller than my iPhone. And I'm sitting there and trying to put stickers and paint a little R2-D2. Um, so I had just finished that recently. I've done a F-14 Tomcat, a P-40 a Tiger Shark from World War II, an F-15. So I've been working on a bunch of them. I wanted to build a Viking launch ship. Assassin's Creed Valhalla was coming out. 
I was really excited to do it. And it had 64 like tiny little wooden shields. And you were supposed to put decals on them to make them look like they were hand painted. And I couldn't get the decals to stick. I just couldn't for the life of me get the decals. I kept trying every single way. I couldn't get them to stick. So I'm like, you know what? I've got these tiny paint pens that I use for like fine detail work on these things. And I'm like, I'll just do them by hand. Like I had like some metallic colors, uh, gold and silver. So I was like, look, you'll look like the iron, you know, I'll, I'll make them look nice. So I sat there and like one night when I wasn't working, took like three hours and painted these things by hand. And then I glued them all 32 to each side. I was like, okay, this is great. And the next step was to take the oars and put them through the hull of the Viking launchship. And they were supposed to go like right under the shields. And I couldn't get them to go in. Every time I would go in, they would knock the shields off. And this went on for about 25 to 30 minutes until the launchship met a brutal demise when it hit the wall of my office at a rather high rate of velocity. Because I just, I just, I just snapped. Um, and I would tell you, I found one of those, this happened like two months ago. I found one of those like shields like a week ago. I was cleaning up around here. So yeah, that's what happened to the Viking launch ship that I was building, Michael. I destroyed it. So I kind of lost my patience there. Um, I'm a little bit concerned because I'm down the road of things that I'm building after I finish this one. I've got an A-10 Thunderbolt and then a Sopwith Camel that I'm going to do, which also has some like you know, strange stuff to like tie the wings together. I'm already dreading that one. I, I'm I'm fearing it might mean a similar demise. So there's my adventures in model making, as I'm sure you all tuned into till here on this Christmas Eve. Up next, we're going to talk some Sam Darnold, some quarterback stuff, um, lots of quarterback stuff, and, and end on a scrubs question, believe it or not. That's all ahead here on episode 168, Christmas Eve mailbag installment of the SCO Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 160 of the Sco Show. little pre-Christmas, Christmas Eve mailbag here. We got a pair of questions from Chinao, who is at, on Twitter, at 67CHINGAO. First question, chances of Donald being... As good as Alex Smith, peak Andy Dalton, basic thoughts on Sam Darnold. And I do think the Jets are in an interesting position because you could make the case that Darnold could still salvage his career, that Darnold could still be a Sam, you know, Alex Smith type quarterback. The problem is a new head coach, is he gonna want to do that? Is Joe Douglas going to pass on a Justin Fields or a Zach Wilson, and he might. You know, you could envision a scenario where they trade out of two. I'm sure there are going to be lots of teams trying to come up to two to get the second quarterback in the draft. So they could get a King's Ransom for that. And it might not be the craziest idea. 
you know what you have in Darnold. Um, could a rookie be better? Maybe, maybe not. You'd have to get it absolutely right. I think that there is still a good chance that Darnold could have that career salvage moment. I just don't know if it happens with the Jets. I don't know if he's going to get that opportunity. But I do think that there's a good quarterback there. You see some of the throws he made against the Rams, a crossing route uh, to Chris Herndon, you know, the wheel route he threw to Herndon. I did a video on Sam Darnold. You can see it on Twitter. It's also up at USA Today right now. I thought he had a very good game against the Rams. I still think there's a good quarterback inside. But that's going to be a tough call. You know, if they're sitting at two, what do you do? Um, to, to trade out and to pass on one of those two guys, especially Zach Wilson, and we're going to talk about him in a second, that's going to take some guts. Or you could stay there. I mean, we've all sort of penned in Penny Sewell, the Oregon tackle, to the Jet, to the Bengals at three. Does the Jets do something like that and put Sewell to right tackle, and you've got Mackay pecked in one tackle and Sewell at the other? I mean... That's a pretty good offensive line. Just something to think about. And then the other question here is, was wondering if you could envision Zach Wilson to be in the Stafford-Ryan end of the NFL quarterback spectrum. Maybe. You know, I'm I'm getting a, a weird sort of Baker vibe with Zach Wilson. And maybe part of it's like, I think they're similar athletically. I think um, people are sort of saying that Wilson has an incredible arm and he has a very good arm. I also think that Baker has a good arm. I I think that's sort of getting undersold. I know the big discussion with Baker right now is the whole play action stuff and that's a discussion for another time. But I'm very intrigued about Zach Wilson. I don't know if he gets above Justin Fields for me. I know he's made it above Justin Fields and a lot of other people's minds, particularly in the wake of what Zach Wilson did the other night in the Boca Raton Bowl when compared to the struggles that Fields had against Northwestern. And the issue there is Fields, I thought, had answered the question that I had on him, which was, can he speed up the process? When I was watching him last summer, my my thought on Fields was, look, he gets to the right answer, but sometimes it takes too long. The quarterback is not a take-home exam. It's a timed examination. you got to get your mind made up quickly. All that decision-making window stuff we talked about. I thought he had answered those questions, but then he was slow against Northwestern. And that, for a lot of people, is going to be the, de- the deal-breaker for them. And so there will be a lot of people that have Zach Wilson QB2. I don't know if I'll be one of them. I really don't. I, I still am probably going to be Fields 2, Wilson 3, but i got to finish my work on these guys. Um, but as for Wilson, I look, I, I think all three of those guys are going to come off the board in the top five or six. They're all very good. Obviously, Trevor Lance is going first. We know that. John Lamaracus at John A-L-A-M-B-E-R-A-K-S. Assuming Bill Belichick wants to continue being good at the run, even if it kills bully ball of Fields, Wilson, and Trey Lance, who fits in and who fits in the best? What about JT Daniels, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, and Scotia Slack channel favorite Desmond Chronicles of Ritter? Um, I'm going to deal with the first question there because I don't have enough time to deal with all those guys. But between Fields, Wilson, and Lance, the guy that screams Patriot to me out of those three Traditionally is Lance, I think given the schematic background, the under center 
deep drops, play action, where their offense is right now. I think traditionally that would be Trey Lance. And I've thought, you know, when I was studying them last summer, that, look, there are going to be NFL teams that are going to love Trey Lance. They're going to look at him and say, yeah, this is our guy. You could drop him into San Francisco right now and he'd be successful. And I think New England traditionally would like him out of those three. But I do think that while all of them check that athletic box, if you come down to the Wilson versus Fields, I think they would lean Fields. But I don't know. I don't know how much they're going to value the decision-making, the decision-making struggles. And if they value it in the manner I believe they traditionally have, they might prefer Lance. They might... You know, it might be a situation where they would be among the people that saw that Big Ten championship game and thought, look, we just, no. No, 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 no. And they might be right about that. Um, so I would say, I would say Sinan right now out of those three would be Lance, but, you know, maybe they would prefer Wilson. Historically speaking, I'd say Lance, maybe modern Wilson. Winnie the Dish at the Matt Cook 13. Mark, as the resident cube Twitter QB guru, do you have a realistic power ranking for the Patriots' 2021 Week 1 quarterback? Could be acquired through draft, free agency, or trade. Just would like to see who are realistic targets you think would succeed next year in New England. I mean, I still think, while it's a small, you know, plurality, maybe 25 30%, it's Cam Newton. I still think he's going to get their first look. I think Stidham is still probably in the mix, depending on what happens these final two weeks. I think in terms of rookies, you are probably looking more at the Trey Lance, Mac Jones spectrum of a first-round quarterback because I think those first three, unless they trade up, those first three guys will be gone by the time they get to be on the board, whether it's at 14, 15, 16, wherever they end up picking. And Mac Jones, a lot of people have made sort of the saving connection. I do think that they're that Jones sort of fits that traditional mold of what the Patriots value, although I think he's a little bit more athletic than your traditional, like, again, the traditional Patriot value at quarterback is Tom Brady. Like, that's what we compare the position to. I think Mac Jones is more athletic than that. As far as free agents, Dak Prescott is probably a pipe dream, mostly because I, I can only imagine that Daniel Snyder, if he's still the owner in Washington, by the way, um, would love to back up the Brinks truck to sign him away from Jerry Jones. I've, I'm always intrigued by the idea of Matthew Stafford. I think Stafford is finally sort of getting his acclaim nationally as how as to how good of a quarterback he is and how talented he is. I remember a couple years ago, John Ledyard asked on Twitter during one summer, it was like three summers ago, who everybody's top five quarterbacks were. And out of your traditionals at the time, which was Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, Wilson, you know, this was pre-Mahomes being Mahomes. I said my number five was Matthew Stafford. And I said on a trait-based analysis with his arm strength, his arm talent, his accuracy, all that stuff, give me Stafford. And Falcons fans are still yelling at me over that years later. But I stand by it. You watch that no-look throw that... Everybody highlighted this week on Twitter. And what made that play incredible to me was 
the Tiger Woods like walk off. Like you see Stafford uncork that throw and he starts walking to the sideline because you know it's like Tiger walking in after the putt. And I would love to see Stafford in New England. I don't know if it would happen. If you look at his contract right now, it's relatively inexpensive when compared to like he's making like Teddy Bridgewater money right now. And it's really cheap. He's signed through 2022. It's really cheap after next year. Like I think his cap number is like less than 10 million in 2022. And you're looking at a situation where you're going to have a new general manager and a new head coach. They're in a bad cap space. He could be available. I know 49ers fans are talking themselves into Matthew Stafford too. So, you know, Stafford would be very intriguing to me. So, I, I, look, I still think the odds-on favorite would be Cam Newton, but I'm not going to bet on it. I think it's probably Newton, then Stidham, then some rookie at some point. I mean, anytime you start thinking about bridge quarterbacks, we've, we've talked about, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick before. Maybe there's a shot that they take a run at him and draft, whether it's a Jones or a, a Lance or somebody as – Fitzpatrick being the bridge guy. He's like he's like the John C. McGinley, like that character actor of bridge quarterbacks. That's Ryan Stafford now. Oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. We need bridge quarterback. Oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Let's see if he's available. Um, so that's kind of how I'd look at it. Uh, Pars and Gars at G-A-R-S-P-A-R-S-N. Who is the best fit? One rookie and one veteran plausible. Thanks, Mark, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Thank you for listening. He is an Eagles fan, um, so I'm going to address both the Eagles and the Patriots in this question. For the Patriots, best fit, one rookie, one veteran. As far as rookies, I'm going to bang that Kyle Pitts drum until it stops. And one veteran, I think I just talked about Matthew Stafford, but back to Pitts. I will. He's a matchup nightmare. You could put him anywhere in the slot, out wide, align him in the wind, whatever. I'm gonna I'm as Ian McDonald said earlier this week, he Ian said it perfectly. He is pre-sad in terms of how he feels about the Patriots not getting him. Because either he's gonna go before the Patriots can draft him or the Patriots are gonna pass on him. And Ian's pre-sad, and I think that fits perfectly. As far as the veteran for New England, I think Stafford makes a lot of sense. Um, but I, I don't I don't know if that will happen. I would love to see it though. Um, but since Parson Guards is an Eagles fan, I will say I will give you two rookies. One that's going to infuriate you, which is Micah Parsons. They need a linebacker. Parsons is great. I don't know if you're gonna be happy if they draft an off ball linebacker in the top seven, as good as Micah Parsons is, and he's great. A rookie I think that would make some sense. I really like Amon St. Brown, the USC wide receiver. Um, I don't know if they go rookie early again. Um, Jamar Chase would be nice. Devonta Smith would be nice. This is a fun wide receiver class. I, I really like Amon St. Brown from USC. I, I've been Amon Ross St. Brown. I've been fascinated watching him. I was studying some Keenan Slovis. Really intrigued by St. Brown. I think he's a fantastic talent. A veteran that makes sense for the Eagles. If Galladay becomes available, I think that makes some sense. Carson Wentz, does he make sense? 
I can I can just see the daggers getting stared at me. No, I, Kenny Galladay, you, you need receiver help. The receiver room has been a huge question mark right now. You also might need some offensive line help too, but you can probably get that in the draft, especially if you go, you know, if you get Kenny Galladay in free agency, you know, Christian Darisaw, the tackle from Virginia Tech, would be a nice pick at seven if that's where you end up picking. So I'll say Galladay there as a veteran. And we close it out with a Scrubs question. Uh, John Colisimo at J on Twitter at J-C-O-Z-M-O. Did Scrub star Donald Faison Turk peak too early in life with the air band in episode? How do you even recover in midlife knowing that that can't be taught? And if you're not sure what John's asking about, episode of Scrubs titled My Half Acre. One of the main plot lines is JD on a date blind date kind of situation, but a subplot to this entire thing is air banding going on at the hospital. And Ted and the janitor have an air band called the Cool Cats. They need two more people to fill it. They need somebody to fill it as a drummer. And one of the other janitors, Lloyd, becomes the drummer. And they need a sinner. And the Todd auditions for the role of the sinner in this air band band. But then Turk just crushes it with a performance of Poison by Belle Biv DeVoe, which is a callback actually to earlier in the show. And the episode actually ends with them doing a version of More Than a Feeling by Boston, which is incredible. You can see it on YouTube. Um, and there's a whole thing about, like, is Dr. Kelso going to allow Air Bandit in the hospital? Whatever. But Turk's, both the Poison performance and the more than a feeling performance by Donald Faison is just absolutely incredible. Um, and you would think that, yes, that might be a peak. He peaked early in life. But it gives me a chance to plug the podcast, Fake Doctors, Real Friends, with Donald Faison and Zach Braff, who plays JD in the show. I've, I've mentioned it before. The podcast is incredible. And they just dropped the episode uh, on Tuesday. And the, the premise of the, the episode is they, the, the podcast works is they walk you through every single show in chronological order, roughly. Um, and for each episode, they have somebody come on, whether one of the other actors, um, showrunners, producers, writers, whatever. And one of the recurring characters, as you might imagine, on the podcast is John C. McGinley, who played Dr. Cox. And the episode they just dropped, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I cannot wait. For those of you that have seen the show, the episode they talk about is the one where JD turns to Dr. Cox and says, where do you think we are right now? And those of you that have seen the show know exactly what episode I'm talking about. Those of you that haven't, I haven't spoiled anything. Because I know that it's a show that hasn't been on the air for like over a decade. Um, But if you haven't seen the show... This is one of the episodes where it's like, I don't want to spoil this. Even 10 years later, I don't want to spoil it. But if you haven't heard the podcast, haven't watched the show, highly suggest that you check them out. Um, it's great binge watching. You can rip through like, you can rip through an almost an entire season of Scrubs like in a week, if not in a night. And I'm pretty sure it was just on Hulu, but I think they just added Scrubs to... Uh, Amazon Prime video, so if you have that, you can check it out too. But I, I can't recommend it enough. So anyway, that's this show. 
Um, obviously, we got Christmas on Friday. I hope those of you that are celebrating and observing Christmas have a wonderful Christmas with your family. I will be back sometime late Monday night, early Tuesday morning with a post-game show from the Bills game. And then we're going to do a mailbag again to close out the year. And the reason why I wanted to do that was because I wanted to give everybody a chance because we talk about non-football stuff a lot. If you've got non-football questions, working in this industry, um, being a lawyer, career changes, being a dad, being a parent, living through COVID, whatever, um, send them in. Um, if, if you want me to address something that you don't want your name associated with, let me know. And I'll just, you know, if you've got something that's more personal, I'm going to play Frasier, I guess, for an episode of this show to close out the year, a year ender, because it's been a lot this year. It really has. And we're still going through it. And I know not everybody's okay. And I've had a lot of people tell me that this show helps. And if I can help in any tiny sliver of a way, I'm happy to do it. And I will tell you that at times I'm not okay. And I've got it easy. I Nothing's really changed for me. I'm doing what I do generally from home. But this year's been a lot. Like, I kind of snapped the other night just generally because I just, I got done baking over like the last couple of weeks, like the last week, six different varieties of Christmas cookies, holiday cookies. Because we gave tins out to neighbors and friends and things like that. Um... And we needed, like, light brown sugar. And it was just one of those feelings where, like, you feel like you can't just walk into a store. Like, I miss just, like, being, walking into a grocery store. You know, you, you have to feel like, is this right? Is this okay? Is this safe? Am I going to expose people around me? Like, it's all been weird. I know. Um, this year has been hard. I know. And so I wanted to end the year. Um with a show that's maybe barely about football. So if you have football questions before the end of the year, get them in. If you have non-football questions, please get them in. Anything you want to talk about, anything you want to share, whatever. It's kind of a year-end show to put 2020 to bed. I saw on Twitter today something that I thought I couldn't identify more with. If somebody just put out a tweet that said, nobody, and I mean nobody, is going to be writing the wrong year on their checks after the first. Absolutely. I don't think anybody's going to be like, oh, man, it's still 2020. No. Like, You're damn right it's 2021. Um, so Merry Christmas to those who are celebrating. Happy holidays to everyone. Um, hopefully the Patriots give us reason to keep coming back. And until then, friends, stay safe. Wash those hands. And when you do, sin along. Bless those Patriots' rings. Down to Foxborough.